Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show, and thank you for joining me. You have a feeling like you want to read something nice today? I would encourage you to go to www.chrisrawl.com. I have five essays up there. You could read about LeBron James. You could read about Aaron Rodgers. You could read about the beautiful, wonderful game of golf. You could read about Bob Dylan, the greatest musician of all time, or you could read about college football. There's a lot of stuff. Go there. Every episode of this show, you can also access through that website. If you are not already subscribed to it, please go and do that. And now, on to today's episode. A hat tip to the aging athlete. College basketball is ramping up, and ladies and gentlemen, I absolutely love it in a way that I have not felt in quite some time. I've been pretty vocal over the last decade about my waning interest in the game of college basketball during the regular season. March Madness, it will always have a special place in everybody's heart that likes sports. There's just no way around that. But compared to my youth, the regular season, just all right, I'll pay more attention to what's going on in the NBA and the NHL during the regular season. And this year, I've done that a lot with the NHL, but my interest in the NBA regular season has been waning. And what has replaced that is college basketball. The, the vibrancy, the hustle of 19 and 20 and 21 year olds that are just throwing themselves around recklessly. And I'm feeling that sense of urgency and that want for, hey, I just want to win this individual game. It's, it's really magnetic to watch, especially when contrasted to many of these NBA regular season games that seem like teams are just content to go through the motions and you're watching a NBA 2K2 game on simulation and they're just running around like robots and shooting a three and trotting back and shooting a three. It's very different watching college basketball right now compared to that style of NBA basketball. And we saw some of that over the weekend. You know, a couple of the really big games that I watched, uh, Texas and Kansas and the Big 12 goes into overtime, just a nice hard fought college basketball style game. There's some high quality plays. It's not going to be as high quality as the NBA, but you can make up for that with just this intense desire to win this particular basketball game. Kansas comes out on top in overtime. I cash my bet. I'm feeling good about the world, and I'm going, college basketball, it's kind of hitting the spot right now, which leads into North Carolina Duke that night. Mike Krzyzewski's final game at Cameron Indoor. ESPN's just doing backflips and hurdles, trying to talk about the importance. And it turned into a very fun and also interesting basketball game. Because at first it looked like Duke's going to be running away with it. And yes, this is how fate would write the story. He's got to beat his rival in the final home game. Duke's obviously the better team. Carolina's kind of fighting on the back end of the tournament. At the NCAA tournament, I mean. And then Carolina's roaring back in the second. And it's just crowd shot after crowd shot of former dejected Duke greats and crying Duke students. And North Carolina's throwing alley-oops and dunking and screaming. And it was... Everything that I remembered, I loved about college basketball. Atmosphere, that's a very big thing for me as a viewer. That's why college football has always appealed so greatly. And getting in Cameron Indoor, everybody's paying a trillion dollars per ticket. Again, all of the former players and just random celebrities and athletes that are in the crowd for reasons I couldn't fully discern besides they're probably rich and maybe like sports. But it was just, a, it was an event, you know? So I'm watching all of that. And I'm going, this, this youth movement is cool. And I'm into college basketball. And I'm really excited because we have tournament week this week. Conference tournament 
We have March Madness beginning at the middle part of next week, which is going to go for a few weeks, which is going to lead us into the Masters, which is going to lead us into the NBA playoffs, which is going to lead us into the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's just a really great time to be a sports fan as that runway sets itself up. So I'm fired up about the impending madness of March. Obviously, I'm sure that everybody who's listening to this is as well. However, now that I've set up something completely different, I'm going to do a hard right turn because today is going to be an ode to the elder statesman of the sporting world. Uh, And I'll explain the logic of how I arrived at this particular thought at this particular moment in time as I'm salivating over what college basketball has to offer. So I'm 35 years old, which is an age that I would say gives you a, a reasonable grasp on how and when a body starts to slowly decay. Not fully, you know, I'm not 65, obviously, but you start to get a sense of that. You know, back in my 20s, I'm playing pickup basketball every day for hours and hours. I would just go and do that. That was my thing. Get together at seven at night, play till 10, come back the next day, do it again, play in city league, play over the weekend, just all this kind of stuff. I loved it. I mean, playing basketball is one of the great joys of my entire life. team aspect of it, the athletic aspect of it, the cerebral aspect of it. Basketball is a really fun thing to be a part of. Now, when I become 30 years old, 30 years old, I hang up my shoes because it was taking too much of a toll on my body. It's half funny, half sad for me, but, but you get the, the concept that within the last however many years, the light bulb starts to go on in my mind and I go, my body is not equipped to play pickup basketball around the clock. Indeed, my body might not even be equipped to play basketball at all and go in and get clotheslined by these lurking behemoths in my hometown who just want to destroy some 5'8", 155-pound kid who's trying to make a layup from four feet below the rim. Said, eh, this is taking a toll on my body. My ankles hurt. My knees hurt. My back's hurt. Everything's hurt. So I hang them up. You know, I go after say golf, that's the competitive sport for me. This is what I'm going to lean into. It's going to be easier on my body. And in most ways it is, it still poses its own problems because that's just how the body works as it gets older. There's always going to be aches and pains and things that your body cannot do that it used to do, whether that's just the act period or whether it's doing that act over and over and over repetitively, as I used to do with city league basketball. So I explain that because It wasn't until this phase of existence, these last few years, that I started to grasp and to really appreciate the truly amazing athletic feats that have come and are still happening from athletes in their twilight years. You know, it's a really good time in my life to understand that and look around and say, holy cow, I feel like this and I only play golf and walk around and listen to podcasts by a river. And these people are playing sports at the highest possible level against the strongest, fastest human beings on earth, virtually all of them who are significantly younger, and they're still performing at a level that is incredible. So as I've been thinking about this over the last few years, I've been thinking about where I live and the NBA, and I'm going, you know, it's kind of strange that I wasn't fully able to grasp this at the time because I grew up in Utah, And I lived through the John Stockton Carmelone era. And I always understood how good they were at basketball. That was never up for debate. Carmelone's winning MVPs. John Stockton, 
ends his career as the all-time assistant steals leader by 17 miles. That was never really up for debate. You always understood when you watched those two players play. These dudes are good at basketball. They're making all-star teams, they're making all-NBA teams, all-defense teams, you name it, right? But it wasn't until this later stage of life, after their careers had ended, that looking back on it and remembering, I'm going, wow. It is incredible how both of those players were able to play for as long as they did at the level that they did while also missing virtually no games. You know, John Stockton, I go and look back on it and the dude played for 19 seasons, all with the Jazz. During that time frame, he misses 22 total games. 22 total games in 19 seasons. The craziest part of that is 18 of those games that he missed came in the 98 season, which means in the other 18 seasons of John Stockton's career, he missed four total games. That is a mind-blowing stat in general. Even when you don't compare eras and go, that's a time and a place where the understanding of health and medicine and what we should and should not be doing with our bodies was different from what it is today. Inferior from what it is today. Yeah, I mean, this is an area when Vladi Divac is sitting there smoking Marlboro Reds at halftime of Lakers game in the early 90s. And Stockton's missing 22 total games over 19 seasons. So the 10 consecutive seasons of his with double-digit assists, I mean, that's an amazing stat in and of itself. But as I look back on that, as I have a sense of just how the body decays and what your limits are as you get older, I go, I mean, nothing can trump playing that many years at that high of a level and rarely missing games. There's just nothing. Look across the NBA today and one of my main grievances, you know, you can revisit my show from two weeks ago. Just people aren't playing. People don't feel compelled to play. Rest days. Ah, I got a little nagging something. Let's just sit it out for two weeks. Oh, I feel sad because my team's not properly utilizing me. I'll just hold out for a month and get traded. Oh, I'm James Harden or Ben Simmons and I really want to trade. I'll either mail in games that I'm playing or sit out with fake hamstring injuries and then immediately come and play with Philly and look awesome in James Harden's case, it's just a different time compared to the past. Gives me an appreciation for that style, that willingness to just say, uh, I'm going to defy the way that the human body is. Natural state of decay. Think of that graph. The line is slowly, slowly descending. And instead, you got Stockton doing what he did for 19 seasons. You have Carl Malone, who also played 19 seasons, 18 of them with the Jazz that last season with the Lakers where he, he battles some injuries in his final season. But if you look at that 18-year span with the Utah Jazz, Armalone missed 10 total games in his time with Utah. I mean, again, the dude won two MVPs. He's got a plethora of records and just his name's high up on the charts for points and rebounds and minutes played, regular season playoffs, all that kind of stuff. But understanding the wear and tear of basketball at an amateur level, like I do, like probably all of you do, who are listening, and then timesing that by 100 for what the NBA is, for who Carl Malone is battling against, Charles Barkley and David Robinson and Sean Kemp and all these other just big, strong dudes who want to clothesline you, understanding that, you go, this is about as an astounding of a stat as you could find for a player, just this longevity, this willingness and ability to play, period for such a sustained amount of time at the highest level. And then also remembering these guys were still good at basketball just for the duration of their careers. So that leads me into Saturday. 
you know, I'll revisit that college basketball aspect because I'm watching a lot of stuff on Saturday, especially into Saturday night and over the course of the weekend, even into Sunday. And college basketball's going. I'm watching Texas against Kansas. I'm watching Carolina against Duke. I'm watching a bunch of other stuff. Illinois, Iowa on Sunday, you name it. But a game jumps out on Saturday night. A game that I'm not expecting because I got a lot of stuff on my plate. I got the four TVs rolling and I'm excited for so many things. We got the Avalanche and the Flames, two best teams in the West going at it. Got all this college basketball going. And what ends up catching my eye and really overtaking my emotions of the night is the ABC Saturday night game, LeBron against the Warriors. Which is weird in part because the Lakers are bad at basketball. We know that. Russell Westbrook is bad at basketball. We know that. I'm convinced that fate has conspired against me because I've been such a vocal Westbrook critic for many years. And I think fate sat there and said, you know, it'd be really funny is if we paired Chris Rawls' most despised player with his favorite player on the same team and he'll have to watch it and he'll get so mad and so angry. And this will be the most darkly funny joke that we could play on some 5'855 pound guy who gets who used to get clotheslined in city league basketball and in a way yes i agree it is funny in other ways it's just sad because i have to watch russell westbrook partially submarine a team that has a player on it lebron who is still an incredible basketball player and still an incredible athlete the first part of that is not crazy if you followed the arc of lebron's career i think you get a really good grasp that even if his athletic gifts were not there They decay to a point where it just, hey, this is not even recognizable compared to 25-year-old LeBron or 30-year-old LeBron. He's such a cerebral player. He understands how to use his body. He's one of the best passers of all time. He's developed a jump shot. He's developed a three-point shot. There's so much stuff that's contained within LeBron's game that even when people would argue against him when he was 25 and say, well, just let's see what he's like when his athletic gifts decay, I would always go, well, there's always going to be a place for him because he has one of the most incredible brains that has ever existed in basketball. He's still six foot eight and 260 pounds. Even if he doesn't have the explosion or the speed or the quickness, you can do a hell of a lot of things with that as your toolkit. Now we're into his 19th NBA season. And the second part of that equation that I mentioned that LeBron is still an incredible athlete. That is the part that is like kind of awe-inspiring because I'm going, well, you've played an incredible amount of minutes into your 19th season. You're older than me, Chris Rawl. You're older than this 35-year-old who hung up his amateur City League basketball career years ago because it took too much toll on his body playing in Spanish Fork High School gym and getting tripped by old people. LeBron's doing against the best in the world. And in his 19th NBA season, he's averaging 29 points per game and eight rebounds per game and six assists per game. His highest point per game average right now in over a decade. I believe right now he's at 29.4 specifically points per game, 0.1 back of Embiid for the league lead. I mean, he's doing stuff that's astounding for his age, astounding for how much he has actually played, and yet his team is still embarrassing because they're not a good basketball team. Separation of player and team. I don't need to get into that because you all know my thoughts on it. That's another time and another place for, for me talking about that because team is embarrassing, but LeBron's on-court talents are anything but especially when you factor in that age, especially when you factor in that amount of basketball that he has played. So Saturday night, he goes ballistic against the Warriors. It grabs my attention and it gets switched onto the main TV with the sound. Now I'm getting excited and 
He ends up topping out with 56 points. Ties Trey Young for most points scored in an NBA game this season. And I wasn't expecting it because it's, it's a struggle to watch the LA Lakers play basketball this year. But Saturday night is a representation of being a part of the career of an all-time player like LeBron. There's a lot of beauty in that for a lot of reasons, but as you look at a team that's completely stagnant and is probably going to lose in the plan, I say there's still some stuff that I want to appreciate here as it pertains to this player, the longevity, and the skill that is there. Because even if he's playing on a shit team like he is, any night can be appointment viewing, as Saturday night was. So he's scoring in all the ways, you know. LeBron, he's not the peak athlete that he was when he was 25, but he still has an incredible amount of athletic gifts still within him. Crazy. Again, 19th NBA season. So he's getting to the rim. He's dunking. He has an incredible alley-oop that he catches for Malik Monk. Tomahawks at one-handed in the fourth. Cans three straight threes in that same time frame. He's chatting it up with Matt Stafford on the sideline. Apparently he needs an LA Ram courtside in order for him to play his best. I don't fully understand that, but there's something going on there. But it was just a really incredible, enjoyable performance. And one that got my brain rolling and going, man, I don't need an excuse to rant and rave about LeBron, but it got me thinking about just how many athletes in the past, whether it's Stockton Malone or a bunch of others, or that are currently going, have tapped into this source that seems, it seems almost incomprehensible to me. As a 35-year-old going, well, I struggle to stay healthy to play golf. <laughs> How is this guy going against the best athletes in the world and scoring 56 on them? So after the game, LeBron is asked about his relationship with scoring. And he gave a quote. This is a quick aside, but I want to concentrate on it because I love talking about LeBron's career. And I love talking about him as a basketball player. I've watched literally every meaningful moment of his entire 19 season career. And he gave a quote about his relationship with scoring as somebody was asking him a various question. And I wanted to read that and talk about it a little bit. So this, this came from The Athletic. Uh, and this is LeBron again talking about his relationship with scoring. Never been the number one option for me. I came into this league understanding what team basketball is all about and the importance of the pass. The importance of your teammates feeling comfortable out on the floor and being in a rhythm. I was just brought up that way. The word ball hog was something that we despised of, and we never let creep into our ball club's view. It's something we never wanted to do. I guess it just stuck with me, man. I've always loved the success of my teammates scoring off of a pass of mine or even a hockey assist, where we can get the ball moving from side to side. But I also knew I wanted to be a triple threat as well, to be able to score at all levels of the game, keep defenses at bay, so they can't just expect for me to pass all of the time. If you can do both, it really keeps the defense. They don't quite know what to do at times, and that was one of those moments where I just had it going. End quote. So this is a really good window into a concept that LeBron was dragged for for many years and has turned into the thing that he is probably most celebrated for. Uh, an all-around ability and capability and desire to win a basketball in any way, shape, or form. That's something that I value above all else as a fan. That's always been just the way that I've watched basketball. I think a lot of people grew up with the Jordan style or the Kobe style, and the mindset was always, I am going to be the one to take the final shot. Although that's not fully true, but I'll get into that in a second. Uh, but, but I think a lot of people bought into that mindset. The best player, they're always going to seize the game by the throat, and when push comes to shove, they're just going to take the ball and they're going to shoot it. And I've always loved the player that 
you know, maybe you're Tim Duncan style who goes, yeah, I can drop 40 tonight, but maybe I score 12 points, but I got eight blocks and 10 assists and a bunch of rebounds. And I play the best possible team defense that I can. And LeBron has really symbolized that to me more than any player that I've ever watched in basketball. I remember a play back in the mid 2000s. It's right when LeBron came to the league a couple years in, they're playing in the playoffs against the Pistons. And in a playoff game, they're down and final possession of the game, Cleveland has the ball. LeBron, obviously it's in his hands. He draws a bunch of defenders, kicks it out to Daniel Marshall in the corner or what would be the game-winning three. Clanks it at the buzzer, misses. And I'm going, ah, all right, that's, you know, hopefully we'll get it back next game, but that's a good play. And much to my chagrin and sadness, you know, that the entire coverage after that was just, this is one of the ways that LeBron is inferior to the true greats. This is why he could never be like a Jordan. This is why he could never be like a Kobe because they would never have passed in this situation. And you hear a quote like that from LeBron and you understand this is not just him talking out of his ass. This is a dude who truly has always played like this and has always treated scoring as something that can be done if I want to or need to. But it's one of many ways that I can dissect a basketball game and make my team win. He has possessed every single way. Defense, rebounding, passing, getting in the post, going out of there. Again, as his game has flushed out, shooting the three, shooting free throw, shooting jumpers. That's come later, all that stuff. But just LeBron has possessed every single way. Now, a quick aside to the aside, an interesting to note is we look back at the start of LeBron's career when that was vilified. And I just want to make note of the way that these narratives can arise in the way that they're never really rooted in reality. I would always argue at the time, well, this idea of the person who shoots the main shot and they do it every time and that's why their team wins, it's not rooted in reality. Like a player that many people think is the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, yeah, he had a lot of that, but two of the very biggest shots of Michael Jordan's career that clinched two NBA championships, they're not him. They were him doing what LeBron always says, this is what I love most. Draws the defense to him against Phoenix in the 93 finals, kicks it out to John Paxson, hits the game-winning shot in game six. First year against the Jazz, NBA Finals, Jordan draws the defense, kicks it to Steve Kerr, game-winning jumper. Like two of the biggest shots of Michael Jordan's career that won two NBA titles, they came from two dweebs who their main skill is just, I know how to shoot when I'm open and when I'm on a team with Michael Jordan, that is a very valuable skill to have because this dude can draw a million different players. Circle back to Saturday night and even in a game that LeBron drops 56, that he's just scoring out of his mind, he can't really ever shut that part of his brain off. This all-encompassing understanding of basketball. And that's what I love about him more than anything else. Because the biggest play of the game against Golden State, what is it? It's LeBron drawing four defenders to him. There's 30-ish seconds to go. Lakers are up three. Draws four Golden State defenders right in the key. Because he's putting his head down and they go, we know he's going to try to score. He's going to try to get 60. Draws them all there. Carmelo Anthony, opposite corner. Passes to him, wide open three, cans it, and that's the dagger that seals the game. Saturday night, uh, it was just, it was out of the blue for my excitement levels. But I'm, I'm glad that it happened for obvious reasons, but, but it also gives me a time to think and talk about longevity. And not just longevity, but being able to perform at the highest level at an advanced stage of your career. Those are two different things. Hanging on and being in the league, that's one thing. Being able to do what LeBron is doing in season 19, that's a whole other thing. 
just begs the question in my mind, you know, how is it possible to perform at this level at this stage of your career? How is it possible? In the same game, LeBron passes Karl Malone for the second most combined minutes played in NBA history. That's regular season plus postseason. LeBron is now second in the history of the NBA. Trails Kareem by about 4,000 or so. He'll pass him sooner rather than later. But you have that many minutes and you have a guy still capable of dropping 56, of using that mind and saying, I'm still going to draw the defense and kick it out for the game-selling bucket. It puts me in a place that I'm more able to grasp it in real time than I was during the careers of Stockton Malone. When I was younger, when I didn't understand the natural way that a body regresses. And we have examples of this across the world of sports. As I thought about this more and I'm going, there's just an incredible amount of elder statesmen, if you will, that are doing things that defy comprehension when I understand my own body and try to compare it against these people. You you look less than a calendar year ago and Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship at age 50. And, And I get he's now a pariah for his Saudi Arabia takes, but I'm here to talk about athletic achievements done at an advanced age. I'm here to separate the art from the artist. That's kind of my calling card. So I look back on that and I go, Phil Mickelson got into a field of golfers that are young, that are powerful, that are incredibly talented and gifted. I mean, think about the state of golf right now, the amount of talent that is infused in the game and youth. Justin Thomas and John Rahm and Colin Morikawa. And even the elder people are like, Dustin Johnson, who still have every physical gift in the world. And Phil Mickelson goes into that field and wins at age 50. He's in the final pairing with Brooks Kepka, and he's doing, he's slow playing him. He talks about it after the round. Brooks Kepka talks about how, yeah, that affected me. He, he knows he, that I want to play fast, and he's slowing it down. He's cranking it. He's talking it over longer with his caddy. And on a course that seemed like it was about power and length, Phil Mickelson is ripping these monster drives he's holding out out of bunkers and by the time the four days were over bill mickelson's pga champion at age 50 that's an incredible achievement to be able to beat the best in the world at that age half of a century look in another sport the nfl and i'm going i mean pick your poison from the last year there were three people who came to mind as i was thinking about how are these people capable of playing at this level at this age you know tom brady is the most obvious example but it's still Bears discussion that Tom Brady's age 44 and he just led the league in passing yards over 5,300. He just led the league in touchdowns thrown 43. You know that I have a lot of qualms with Brady narratives about his winning and how much is just him and how much is the team and the situation, but his ability to play well into his forties, that is definitely not one thing I would ever miss on. That is an incredible achievement. Especially when you look at some of the other quarterbacks who have tried to extend their careers. Most recent one that comes to mind is Drew Brees, who at 41, three years younger than Brady, that's when he retires. It looked like Drew Brees couldn't throw the ball 10 yards. His arm was a wet noodle. He's trying to whip these balls out there and they're just fluttering in. They're not in the wind because they're played in the Superdome. So these balls are fluttering in a controlled environment and it just looked like, dude, the time has come. You know, you need to hang it up. Aaron Rodgers, I mean, back-to-back MVPs at 37 and 38. (laughs) Those achievements speak for themselves at any age, much less two and three years older than I currently am. Especially when you compare that to another Hall of Fame quarterback from the recent past and go, I remember Peyton Manning, age 39, pretty much right where Rodgers is right now. 
and the dude's arm was falling off his body. His final season, you think Drew Brees' arm strength was ugly. A wet noodle would have been the envy of Peyton Manning's heart. It just seemed like he was armless trying to throw a ball somewhere, which I don't even know how that would work. And that makes sense if you watch Peyton Manning play his final season. Andrew Whitworth, starting left tackle for the Super Bowl champion, LA Rams, at age 40. Age 40. I mean, how is that even possible? Think of the position of left tackle. Your job is to stop the strongest and fastest human beings on the field, pretty much on planet Earth. You're thinking the combination of speed and power in a human body. I can't imagine there is really anybody who is going to be better at the combination of those things than what you would get in a premier NFL edge rusher. Think about somebody like Miles Garrett, just an incredible athletic specimen who's playing in his mid-20s and who's here trying to block him, trying to block players of his caliber week in, week out. It's this huge 40-year-old man who somehow still does it at a high level, Andrew Whitworth. You know, this is the phase of life where I'm better able to grasp that and say, I can't believe that's even possible. I'll mention one more person. Comes from the sport of the NHL. Uh, and he's on the chase to break Wayne Gretzky's goal-scoring record. A record that not too long ago I just never really thought about because it seemed so far out of reach. But Alex Govechkin's now in his 17th year in the NHL. And he's cruising up the goal-scoring charts. I want to say he's about 150 or so away from Gretzky. And he's still scoring at a level that defies comprehension. You know, we know his career has been illustrious. We know he's been an incredible goal-scoring weapon throughout. The dude's led the league in goals nine different times in those 17 years. But still, this year, at age 36, he has 34 goals in 55 games. 68 total points, well over a point-per-game player. In a sport that is as physically demanding as any sport that you could find on Earth. You're just skating around super fast and getting smashed and punched and and hooked and cross-checked and everything under the sun by these dudes who are just really good at doing that and actually want to do that. And even amidst that, in the 2022 season, Alex Govechkin is scoring 0.62 goals per game. That's his pace. Which if you look back over the course of his career, it's right in line with some of his league-leading seasons. You know, out of those nine seasons, I'm looking back and I'm going, well, he led the league one time with 0.6 flat goals per game. He's scoring at a better pace than that right now at age 36. Two different times, 0.63 per game. Another time, 0.65. He's right in line with these seasons that led the league as far as goal scoring is concerned. Obviously, just still scoring at an incredible level. There's so many examples of this as my mind was expanded and I just kept thinking about it to where I'm going, holy cow. Maybe it's just me getting older and gaining a better understanding of how the human body can break down, but the longevity that is on display across the sporting world, and especially the level that all of these athletes that I've talked about are still playing at is truly, truly astounding. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. And remember, if you have not already, subscribe to the show, download it, rate it and review it five stars. That would be much appreciated on my end. Thank you and enjoy your day. Thank you.